Hello and welcome to the Glow Journal podcast, a conversation with the beautiful minds behind the world's biggest beauty brands. I'm your host, beauty writer Gemma Watts, and in this episode, I'm joined by the CEO of Ella Bache, Pippa Hallis. Ella Bache is a household name in Australia. Founded in 1936, the brand came to be stocked in Australian stores following an incident involving leg wax and the foyer of a David Jones store, a story you'll hear in this interview. Pippa Hallis, the now CEO of the brand, is the great niece of Madame Ella Bache and has sat at the helm of the company for the last 10 years. What I find so inspiring about Pippa is the way in which she's maintained the relevance of a heritage brand. Pippa speaks of her commitment to learning something new every day, and it's that commitment to growth and reinvention that sees the business thrive today whilst maintaining the values set in place some 82 years ago. I caught up with Pippa at Ella Bache's Sydney head office to talk about how she and the Ella Bache brand are championing a movement that sees us celebrate our differences, what it's really like being a female CEO, and what Pippa refers to as the fast food of the beauty industry. Okay, so there is a story that I have heard snippets of that involves your great aunt, a pot of wax, and the foyer of David Jones. And I believe that's the story of how the Ella Bache brand came to be stocked in Australia. Can you fill in the gaps for me? Sure. So just to give you a bit of background, so my um, Ella is my great aunt. Yeah. Uh, she was a cosmetic chemist mm-hmm. and she was Eastern European. Uh, my grandmother was uh, Edith Hallis and mm-hmm. she was a beauty therapist. Yeah. Also Eastern European. They... Um, they both left Eastern Europe for Paris because they had the luckily had the foresight um, at a very young age mm-hmm. into what was about to happen, um, you know, on the brink of World War Two. Yeah. So they they moved to um, Paris, mm-hmm. and that's really where their I guess their their passion and their love affair with each other as yeah. scientists essentially started. So um, fast forward. Uh, probably 12 months and they were sitting in the opera house in Paris watching um, an opera and a gentleman stood up and he announced that uh, the war had just broken out still giving me goosebumps yeah and anyway so again their life changed dramatically in that moment and they both applied for visas um, to uh, Canada the US Australia and New Zealand and um, my grandmother and grandfather, fortunately, uh, were granted a visa to, to come to Australia mm-hmm. and Ella to uh, New York because her brother was a doctor and he, he lived in New York. So their lives quickly changed. My grandparents came here and, um, you know, I think my grandmother always says that that moment in Paris changed their life because, you know, they're their passion became, you know, their life. And that was all around the Ella Bache products and, and the science of the skin. So the first, so to answer your question, the first product that um, my grandmother walked into David Jones with um, in 1954 was a product called um, My Appeal and it was a cold wax. Mm-hmm. And it was the first uh, wax strip, I guess. Yeah, I was going to say Ella Bache is the first company to bring out just a strip mm. wax as opposed yeah. to yeah and and interestingly enough Ella's uh, second husband um, there's a whole story to that one but her second husband 
um, was actually an archaeologist. So he had been in Europe, in Egypt recently and he absolutely hated the smell of the resin waxes that existed at the time. They yeah. were really archaic and quite horrible. So he observed uh, the Egyptian women using um, cotton strips and... Yes, um, yeah. And, and another product which was made from lemon and, and sugar and etc. So See, that gives me goosebumps. You talk about getting goosebumps about <laughs> hearing about the war. The, oh, the totally. thought of cotton strips and... Ugh. Oh, totally. But that, that, um, that observation um, he had in Egypt uh, was what sparked an idea in Ella to formulate these, these cold wax strips, which mm-hmm. my grandmother um, took into David Jones and... Um, met with the buyer of the day. Her name was Mrs. Phillips. I still remember the story, 1954. And um, Mrs. Phillips, a really elegant lady, um, but very practical, said to my grandmother, okay, demonstrate you know, to me how it works. So my grandmother, who was actually quite shy and quite young at the time, hoisted up her skirt and... Um, this is in the foyer of DJs. Yeah, yeah, yeah. DJs. <laughs> and, um, and yeah, and, and that went, was history. So. Amazing. So yeah. given that the company, as you've just said, was founded by your grandmother and your great aunt mm-hmm. and your father is still the owner and chairman? Yep. Yes. So my father's uh, essentially second generation, I guess. And yeah. he um, he's the owner and the chairman. My dad was the entrepreneur. Yeah. So I guess it was such a such a amazing combination of different people's talents. And mm. um, my father essentially started... Working when he was quite young, after um, after trying out an accountancy uh, cadetship, which he absolutely was not him. Um, he's extremely <laughs> creative and entrepreneurial, so he essentially uh, built the brand right. and um, and developed the the network of the distribution network that we know today. So it's a family business. So mm-hmm. I imagine growing up, you would have spent you know a great deal of those formative years either in the factory or the office, or at the very least around beauty in a greater capacity than most. So what are your first real memories of beauty? Yeah, it's really funny. Uh, Beauty in my family is not about makeup and vanity. Mm -hmm. It's about science. So it was was really around creation of um, formulas and, well, first and foremost, understanding the science and the biology of the skin, Mm -hmm. uh, which was always about my grandma's focus and then it was about the understanding the formulations and the ingredients that that made the formulations um were were able to get the results on the skin Mm -hmm. so my family never was one to you know walk around and be glamorous it was always very much uh the memories of um you know kind of creating formulas and in labs and working in the factory and Mm -hmm. um you know, getting to know the people really well, and some of them still work for us today. Wow! Yeah, so it's um, I've got a lot of really fond memories, but I think like anyone who grew up in a family business or around a family business, you just learn through osmosis, and you don't really understand it at the yeah. time. Often, that's the best way to learn, though. I think just you know, being immersed in it, growing up, you know, in the factory and in the office, and just around that. Did you have ambitions to work in beauty eventually? Um, I don't think so. Mm-hmm. I don't. I never. I never, as a child, consciously 
thought, I want to um, work there one day. Right. So I, I think it was an evolution and... Oh, oh. <laughs> we'll leave that in. <laughs> Just to make sure we're awake. Um, yeah, no, it was, never, it was never a conscious thought that I want to have the CEO's office one day. Yeah. It was... Um, it was it was more organic than that, right? So you finished school, you went to university, and you studied business marketing, and then you spent the next ten or so years between Sydney and London working in marketing. Now, correct me if I'm wrong, but I would imagine you would have finished school, and there would have been a place at the company for you, and they would have you know welcomed you with open arms. So why that move overseas? Um, I think I. I guess my family's always been encouraged me and it's my personality as well to to be a bit of a kindred spirit and an adventurer. Mm-hmm. So, you know, like a lot of 18-year-olds, being in the family business just didn't appeal to me. I yeah. wanted to go and explore the world and, um, you know, I was really passionate about advertising and uh, communications and understanding how in a positive way you can influence people's um, behavior so that's mm. that's what I um, spent a tech good a good part of 10 years doing both here in Sydney and in London and working on some amazing brands and yeah. um, you know both uh, profit and non, not-for-profit brands and um, getting an amazing experience and then at 30 you're back in Australia and that's when you decided to join the business why then why was it you know that you woke up and thought okay I'm yeah, ready I don't know I think <laughs> I was <laughs> I think I was at a crossroads in my life where I thought um, you know I'd been working back in Australia for a couple of years and the advertising industry in Australia at the time um, was you know, was pretty much a lot of it was retail driven. Mm-hmm. So I had a desire in my mind that either I would go to America and continue my career in advertising, mm-hmm. or I would jump the ship and um, you know give Alabasha a go. And I, uh, you know, very fortunate that it's such a great brand. Yeah, and it's such a you know it's it's not selling tires or something that I've got <laughs> no interest in, no interest in. So I was very fortunate and. Um, yeah, so at the time I decided to jump and I had absolutely no idea what I was jumping into, but I jumped. Well, it's funny you use the word crossroads because I do think that 30 for a lot of people probably is a real, I guess, transitional period. So what would your advice be to women, not necessarily 30, but just women who are having a look at their life and thinking, I want to take this in a different direction? Um, yeah, so I think for me... The moment, what advertising did give me, you know, it was it was in the obviously in the nineties. I I didn't have a lot of role models, female role models that I looked up to, mm-hmm. and it was, you know, it was certainly not. It was a it was a young person's industry, and it was fantastic. Yeah. But there was no women who had kids and um, and were great role models in that respect. So I think you know, for me, um, it's it's about finding some really good role models because you know ultimately they help you um to become who you want to be yeah and I couldn't find them in advertising so I decided to jump ship and look for them in a in an industry that was um probably more uh open to to women and you know mums and um that's that's what I aspired to find 
was there any crossover period between, like when you've joined the company and your grandmother and great aunt were still involved or was there no crossover? No. So when I joined the company, there, was, there hadn't been a family member in the business for about 20 years. Ah. So, um, so I walked in here and um, completely naive and um, I, everyone, you know, thought I was a spy. So... <laughs> I'd kind of gone from an, an you know an industry working in an industry where everyone uh, knew what I did but didn't really care about my last name. Yeah. To a place where no one really cared about what I did to everyone caring about my last name <laughs> and and fearing it. So it was a it was a really challenging few years. Despite there not being that crossover, was there any advice or anything you'd learnt through observing your family when you were younger that you sort of brought to the company when you came back? Yeah, and I still do. Like I still, yeah. you know, when 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 I find myself in a challenging time, um, I still draw on you know the values and the principles mm-hmm. that um, that this business was founded on. So although you know, although the world has completely changed, um, you know, I look back on the time that Ella and my grandmother started this business, and it was just as disruptive so you know they were forced to flee um, their countries they had to uh, survive back themselves Um, they had to you know build networks they had to do all these things that we have to do today but just in a very different way you've touched on something interesting there about staying true to brand values the beauty industry as a whole has changed so much particularly in that time since you came and became the CEO. But I feel like Ella Bache is still as relevant and, you know, it's an icon as much now as it was however many years ago. So how do you keep a brand relevant while staying true to those values that were set in place 80-odd years ago? So for me, it's um, I guess we had a, a really um, clear philosophy from the beginning of this company and it was all around celebrating the individual and it was all Mm -hmm. around empowering someone um, to feel really confident in their own skin Mm -hmm. so that's kind of my guiding light Um, and it's really interesting as you mentioned the industry's changed so much and you know I quite often refer to what's going on at the moment as you know the fast food of beauty and there's a lot of um, there's a lot of I guess invasive treatments that have been um driven by social media and and kim and the kim kardashian effect yeah absolutely (laughs) and so i kind of you know grapple with what's going on uh Mm -hmm. there and there's people doing that really well um i guess how we wrap relevance around that is Mm -hmm. you know it's it's um not by putting down you know people who want botox or fillers or whatever yeah that's that's great but I guess our stance is you still need to have healthy skin. Yes. Um, and it's a complementary um, it's a complementary thing. And I think, um, you know, I would encourage people and especially young women, if they want to enhance themselves, also have healthy skin and, and do it in a way that celebrates your differences and not to try and erase your differences. Mm-hmm. I love that, celebrating yeah. differences. So I think that's how I really grapple with it. And then the, I guess the benefit of being a um, you know, CEO in this time is that we have so much great technology available. Yes. Um, 
there's an old proverb that I think roughly translates to the first generation starts the business, second generation runs it, third generation ruins it. Now, that's obviously not the case here, given that you're third generation. So how do you and I guess the whole Alabashe team, um, you know, run a family business that is still as successful today as it always has been? Um, I, look, I think it's running any business and mm-hmm. I think that proverb I know it really well <laughs> um, and it irritates me but uh, also motivates me at the same time. Yes. Yeah, what makes you want to prove people wrong. Exactly. So, look, I think for us it's picking up on um, – it's leveraging the trends that are going on in the world at the moment and for me that's probably three, th- three things that we bring into this business and that's uh, technology – Mm-hmm. So obviously making sure that we're reinventing this business, setting it up for um, you know for a tech business and having data, having treatments that um, that are really relevant and making sure that we communicate with um, with our customers the way they want to be uh, communicated to. I think um, it's also whilst you've got that high tech going on, you've also got the role of high touch still needed mm-hmm. in, in society and so for our for our stores there's such a big opportunity to do that high touch really well and I still think there's such a role for um, you know treatments and hands-on uh, therapies combined with you know the, the machinery and the technology available today mm-hmm. um, I think the third thing is is as a brand how do you how do you stand out I think is probably harder than ever before you know we've well beauty so heavily saturated now I imagine that would be a massive challenge it's a massive challenge and it's also you know a massive uh, opportunity and and I guess just re-looking at you know the communications landscape or the media landscape it's gone from very much mass media mm-hmm. um, to to personalized media and you know I think um I learnt a couple of weeks ago that it took forty, it it no, it took fifty years for forty million people to buy radios, and wow. it took just one year for forty million people to have Facebook accounts. Good God! I know. <laughs> <laughs> oh. So I think it's I think it's definitely using you know media in a very personalised way. Mm-hmm. I think social media is amazing, and I think. Um, you know, to stand out, you have to be relevant and take a message, um, you know, to a customer that really, really wants it. I imagine that tech is part of this, but what would you say some of the biggest changes that you've made to the business are since you came on as CEO? Yeah, it's definitely, it's it's, a, it's embracing the digital world. So, mm-hmm. you know, certainly um, the last 10 odd years since I've been CEO, we've driven enormous changes and still driving enormous changes to, to constantly reinvent this business. Um, and that a lot of it's using technology. So whether we, we have a, we have a uh, I guess, an education um, part of the business where we offer diplomas and teach uh, mainly young girls, but guys as well, to, to be therapists. And, mm-hmm. um, you know, that business, for example, has gone from um, uh, predominantly face-to-face to now 80% online learning so yeah and um to solve for for a very to solve for an education platform in a very tactile industry was yeah really interesting absolutely it's well i'm glad you brought up the um you know the training program because i know ella bache has 
the training program but also so many franchises and I guess empowering people to be able to run a business really is at the core of Ella Bache and we're living in a really interesting time now where I feel like um, you know women do have you know maybe a bit more guts and we feel brave and we can run a company as you're doing what I wanted to ask you is do you think that the way the world views women in business has changed or do we still have you know a long way to go um, I guess there's two parts to that question in my mind. I think there's, you know, I, I know a lot of big companies um, and, and we're, compl- we're completely different here because we have, you know, 70% of our staff are female. Yeah. So it's, um, it's, it's not as relevant to us. But, um, you know, certainly a lot of uh, the top 100 companies are forcing uh, women's involvement through setting quotas. Uh-huh. And, you know, making sure that they've got a balanced view, whether it's on the leadership team or the board. I think the issue is broader than that, though, and I think it's about uh, feeling included as a woman. Yeah. So once you're there, it's kind of like, well, is the culture going to accept? Yeah, you don't want to feel like you're just a box that someone's ticked off to reach their, you know, annual quota. Yeah, exactly. So I think whilst there has been headway made around setting quotas and trying to get women to... Um, sit around the top tables there's a long way to go in terms of cultural change and really mm. including women when once they get there and I think and you were saying you know how you were looking for role models and you couldn't find them where you were and you turned to beauty I think from an outsider perspective beauty really is an industry that's female dominated which it is here as you said 70% of the staff are women but there are still so few female CEOs so what would your advice to be for someone who you know that's their goal they want to get right up there yeah look I mean I think there's a there's a number of different things I think um it's not for everyone yeah I think you have to you have to certainly want it and you have to be willing to um you know go for the ride there Mm -hmm. are there are highs and there are lows and there you know there's um it's a massive learning and I think one of the things that certainly helped me is my is a commitment to learning new things every day so because as a leader and a CEO you have to you have to reinvent a business all the yeah. time so you've got to reinvent yourself and um, I think if that's something that really turns you on then then absolutely go for it you say it's not for everyone are there any big um, I guess speed bumps or hurdles that you would tackle differently within the business if you had your time over um, I think there's probably two. One is that, you know, and, and it's quite a cliche, but that it's I've made the biggest mistakes um, in this role when I haven't backed my intuition. Uh-huh. So I've listened to, to other people instead of my myself. So, um, you know, I, I really kind of back, back myself because I know, you know, nine times out of ten yeah. it's, um, it's going to be right. Um, the second one is is becoming a mum. So you know that was ah. a that was a real change in my career. So I've got two little boys, and um, it was the biggest transition to become a working mum. I guess. Yeah, I cannot imagine. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. And um, and the and the guilt that goes along with that. So right. I don't know many you know mums who go to work who don't you know struggle with that yeah. that guilt. Um, but I think, you know, the biggest piece of advice from a friend of mine 
who, who was a working mum before me, she said to me, um, you know, every day is going to be different, so just mm-hmm. keep adjusting. Um, so I kind of live my life like that and every day is different. Sometimes the kids need me a lot more, sometimes yeah. the business needs me a lot more, and that's okay. I love that. Um, 150 salons, two boys under 10. What's more time consuming? <laughs> Good question. Uh, they're both. I, the business is like my first child. <laughs> <laughs> so, you know, I... I've gotten pretty good at compartmentalizing my my You kind of have to. Yeah. yeah. So I try and, you know, I put 120% into the time I have at work and I try and put 120% into the time I have with my kids. Mm-hmm. So that might mean a full day's work, getting him in here really early, leaving earlier because my brain works better in the morning and then just going and jumping on the trampoline with them for an hour and, you know, hearing about their days. So Beautiful. Um what do you think's next from the beauty industry in general? Um, look, I think it's uh, probably a continuation of um, what we've seen in the last few years uh, by way of you know businesses reinventing themselves, mm-hmm. um, whether it's a whether it's a skincare business or a or outside the, the beauty industry, I think it's it's a lot around um, setting yourself up for data, moving quickly because change is happening so quickly. Yeah. Um, and I think more specifically to the beauty industry, it's um, it's constantly looking out for for new ingredients, for new techniques, for new um, scientific discoveries mm-hmm. um, that really drive innovation. Well, finally, Pippa, what is next? From Ella Bache. What is next? Good question. So, look, we've got a we've got a big strategic agenda in place. I think it's certainly to um, continue to reinvent uh, for the digital world. Mm-hmm. So, um, whether it's in the education space and taking um, new content to to our students, uh, new content to the end consumer through YouTube, social media. Um, and educating the, the consumer. Um, it's also, I guess, balanced with what we do in-store and making sure that we have a remarkable uh, in-store experience as well and that whole integration between the two is is pretty much non-existent anymore. Mm-hmm. Um, it's, it's also, you know, growing our footprint and, and possibly going into other markets and, um, and constantly innovating new products and treatments that we take to market. That was Pippa Hallis, CEO of Ella Bache, which you can find on Instagram at Ella Bache Oz or online at ellabache.com.au. To read my interview with Pippa, you can visit glowjournal.com. And for more beauty news, you can find me on Instagram at gemkwatts or at glow.journal. If you liked this episode, please do not forget to subscribe, rate, review and share so other beauty and business lovers can find us and join the Glow Journal family. I'm Gemma Watts. You've been listening to the Glow Journal podcast and thank you for joining me.